Hello there, everybody. This is Father Tom Provenzano welcoming you to another episode of the Axe Podcast, kind of a part two from yesterday's uh, talk about Our Lady of Guadalupe. I'm going to uh, kind of wrap up a little bit on Our Lady of Guadalupe today. There were a couple of details I, I left out and then talk a bit about um, Gaud- Gaudete Sunday, which is today as I speak and as I record. But before we get to that stuff, let's get to this. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, help of Christians, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I'm going to hopefully get through this. I've been having some technical difficulties this morning. The the app that I record this through keeps on uh, crashing, and uh, hopefully, uh, through Our Lady's intercession, we'll be able to get through this uh, uh, taping uh, in its complete form without having to keep on stopping and starting over again. But anyway, so yes, you know today is the 12th of December as I speak, and it is both the third Sunday of Advent and Our Lady of Guadalupe. Now, you know, liturgically, the the third Sunday takes precedence. Uh, you know, over any feast day. Uh, you know, even I believe a few years ago when uh, the Immaculate Conception uh, landed on a Sunday, I believe it was moved to the Monday. Uh, you know, it had to be. You know that that the both things had to happen. The feast had to be celebrated, but the Sunday had to be respected. You know, in the case of Our Lady Guadalupe, it's a feast here in the United States, so there's no moving it really to another day. And liturgically, we will be celebrating the the third Sunday. But it's also obvious that you know, if you if you are in a community, as I you know pointed out yesterday, which is you know heavily uh, Mexican in its makeup, in its uh, demographic makeup, uh, you're you know you, there's no getting around it. Uh, and I you know quite frankly, I don't know that there really should be. You just do your best to respect both things, to respect the Sunday, but while also understanding that the people are going to celebrate Guadalupe uh, one way or the other, <laughs> whether you are with them or not. So uh, while the, the Mass will be for the Sunday, uh, we will have processions, and you know we had the Mañanitas. In fact, I just got done with the Mañanitas this morning, the, the, the praying of the Rosary and the singing of hymns to Our Lady and songs of, of praise and thanksgiving to God. Uh, in about another hour, I'll be saying Mass for, for Gaudete Sunday. So, you know, we, we do both. We do both uh, because it's good. <laughs> because it's good. Because there's so much to celebrate and so much that we, we should celebrate. But to kind of wrap up on, on Guadalupe a little bit, I, I think it's hard for us, uh, at least those of us from the United States maybe, to really grasp the, the significance of the feast and why really the, the people are so insistent that it be celebrated in one form or the other. The, the closest comparison I really have to it that maybe you know, many of us would understand is St. Patrick's Day, where St. Patrick both has this religious significance, but there's also this kind of patriotic and, and civic uh, significance to it as well. And if anything, the problem with St. Patrick's Day is that it has become more of kind of a cultural, uh, you know, civic, patriotic holiday 
at least here in the United States, for people to, you know, people particularly of Irish ancestry, and it's more of an excuse to have a party than it is really to celebrate the saint himself who uh, evangelized Ireland. Uh, in, the, in the case of Our Lady Guadalupe, I'd say it still is primarily a religious feast, but it, Our Lady Guadalupe does have this very strong patriotic appeal. Uh, sh- she is a symbol, really, of the nation itself. Uh, she was on the flag for a very long time. Uh, it was taken off I, sometime in the early 20th century. The, the flag, uh, the, the Blessed Mother, was taken off of the of the of the national flag. But you know, to be Mexican is to be a Guadalupano. It is to be a son or daughter of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and there is this very very strong connection. Uh, that again, I, I would say the religious significance is still greater. Nonetheless, uh, this very strong, you know, patriotic element is there too. Uh, that makes this, you know, kind of a hybrid celebration for many people. It's a day, obviously, to honor Our Lady, but it's also a day to, you know, to celebrate, uh, <laughs> you know, their Mexican heritage. And for those of us who aren't Mexican, you know, we get to kind of trail along too and enjoy the ride while also honoring Our Lady in a very deep and profound way. Uh, you know, the other thing that I, you know, I, I, last time I, around I went through the different symbolisms in the, in the, in the, the image of our, of our Lady, you know, you know, I talked about what the different elements meant. You know, what I neglected to talk about were the eyes that, uh, they, you know, the eye, you know, this is, it's a, you know, it's a, the image is bigger than a bread box, but it's not huge. You remember it fit on, on this sort of tilma. Uh, I don't remember again off the top of my head how many how many inches the image is, but uh, but the eyes still remember they're she's looking downward and at an angle. And so, you know, her eyes appear to be kind of half open. Uh, you know, they're not, you know, they're not big wide. You know, I think of those that artist who made the paintings with the people with huge eyes. <laughs> they made a movie about her a couple of years ago, but I don't want to get too sidetracked by that. No, these are these are not big doll's eyes. These are you know, again, they appear almost to be half open. And a number of years back, they actually did a study of the image, and in the eyes, they found that actually there are images depicted within the eye and images that kind of refract like a you know they, they would refract on on a, on a human eyeball and uh, they appear to be you know things that our lady would have seen like Juan Diego and like uh, his uncle Don you know Bernardino there Juan Bernardino in his bed and even of the bishop now the, the thing is is you need a microscope to see this and, and not just a microscope but you know, a hu- you know, one of these imaging, you know, huge imaging microscopes. You you need really the most modern technology to even know that that's there. So why someone would bother to do something like that, and whether first of all, why someone would bother, but the other issue is that I'm not sure they had the technical abilities to do something like that back in the day, back in the in the 16th century. Uh, it just adds to the fact that this is a very special garment. This is a sign. You know, so, something I think that's good for us to kind of wrap around our heads is that God does not perform miracles uh, 
simply to show off or, or simply to display his power. His miracles always have a purpose. They are always meant to be taken as signs, as the Gospel of John uh, tells us. They are meant to be signs that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, that he does have power, and that he does have the authority to do the things that he does, specifically forgive sins and to proclaim uh, the good news, and that through him sins are forgiven and humanity is redeemed. And this image, too, is a sign. It's just not, again, it's not just there to show off. It's, it's there to be a sign for us. As I said yesterday, it's a, it's a tool, it was a tool of evangelization, and it still is. Because in this, again, we see our Lord speaking to us through Mary and telling us that he is the Messiah, he is the Savior. He is the one who we need to have faith in above all else. And that our Blessed Mother is there to deliver that message to us, which tells us that she has a very important place in God's plan. You know, sometimes I get the question, why, you know, why Mary? You know, why does, you know, why, why, why do the Catholics put such an importance on, on Mary? And why is she necessary? Well, I mean, she's necessary. This is one case where I will say she's necessary because God said she's necessary. <laughs> but, but, I, but I know we want something a little more satisfying than, than just that. If, if Christ is the king, and he is the new Davidic king. Who is his queen? And unlike, let's say, monarchies that we are used to, the, the queen in Israel was not the wife of the king. The queen was his mother. Because the king might have several children by several different wives. And it was for him to decide which of those sons was going to rule on his throne. And so the mother of, of the one who he chose became the queen. And the, it was not just a, a figurehead position. The queen had a great deal of influence. The queen, if you will, interceded with the king at times to try to influence him in his decisions. And, and you know, we... we we see with uh, you know in the, in the case of of uh, King Solomon, he actually has a throne brought in, not just a seat brought in when his mother entered, but a throne brought in for her to sit on. And so, our Blessed Mother is a queen. She is the queen of heaven, and she does have a great deal of influence with her son, and she does intercede at times uh, on our behalf with her son. And so, yes, she has her place, a very important place. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't think, I guess any devotion can become exaggerated, but I think in the case of our Blessed Mother, you have to, it would have to be very, very extreme for it to be too extreme. That's just, that's just me. Anyway, so that's, that's the feast of the day. But the, the Sunday obviously is 
the Gaudete Sunday, which uh, you know comes from the opening entrance antiphon of the Mass, which calls us to rejoice. Okay, Gaudete means rejoice in, uh, I believe, the imperative tense. Uh, I probably got that wrong. I probably even got the tense wrong, if that tense even exists in Latin. But, you know, the it's it's a direct command, if you will, exhortation to rejoice. And, you know, we do that because we are now three weeks into Advent. We are in this watchful period of waiting and prayer for the coming of the Lord. And we're being encouraged, you know, not to be downhearted, not to flag in our efforts, to uh, to re- to remember that that you know, yes, we we read in the scripture some very heavy uh, prophecies about what the end of the world is going to look like, and it's easy to be scared and it's easy to lose heart. But no, don't lose heart. Stay joyful. Stay stay optimistic you know, while realistic, and rejoice in the Lord, for the Lord is coming, and we should see this as something joyful. So, you know, in the spirit of this, the first reading is from the the book of Zephaniah, and Zephaniah is living, you know, around the time just before the fall of Jerusalem in the exile. And again, much of his book, like the other prophets, is is pretty doom and gloom. Uh, But like the other prophets also, he ends on this positive note. And, you know, basically assures the people of Jerusalem and Judah that, you know, while things may be bad for a while, while, while exile may come, while the, the, the city itself may be destroyed, uh, nonetheless, the Lord will have the final victory. The Lord will have the final say. And we should always maintain that hope. And, you know, the, the second reading kind of continues that, that theme uh the the reading from the philippians uh the the fourth uh uh chapter of the of the philippians brothers and sisters rejoice in the lord always i say it again rejoice your kindness should be known to all the lord is near have no anxiety at all but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving make your request known to god then the peace of god that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. So he's, he's, you know, Paul there is trying to give the Philippians and us a shot in the arm a little bit, that things may seem difficult, we may seem to be living through uh, particularly hard times, maybe harder times than others, but that the Lord is near. You know, the Lord is near to us in our hearts. The Lord is near to us when we gather in his name, and the Lord is near to us through the proclamation of his word, and through the reception of his sacrament. So we should rejoice, and we should let that joy be seen by others. And let that be a sign for the people. You know, we should not be gloomy, and we should not think that saints are gloomy, but you know, saints really are called to be joyful, to be joyful in the Lord. As I always say, optimistic, but realistic, but optimistic. And in the gospel reading today, we, from Luke uh, chapter 3, again, we have this encounter with John the Baptist. You know, we, we've been talking about Our Lady. Uh, the other kind of personage who is so important in Advent is John the Baptist. Obviously, our, our Lord is always uh, the, the recipient of top billing. 
But, you know, Our Lady and John the Baptist also, especially during this season of, of Advent, are so important. You know, John the Baptist, who went out, as we heard last week, uh, to sort of take the, uh, uh, the Elijah role of going out and preparing the way for the Lord, of making those, you know, the road straight in the desert to prepare people for our Lord's coming. And, and today he is out and uh, in the in the desert, and he's got people coming to him, all sorts of people, scribes, Pharisees, soldiers even, tax collectors, and asking John, okay, you're calling us to repent, but what is it that we need to do to repent? And John is very clear, you know, if you're a soldier, don't bully people. Don't, don't use your, you know, use your, you know, be content with your pay. To the tax collectors, just collect what you're supposed to collect. Don't collect more, don't extort people. Okay, basically what he is he is telling us is do what you're supposed to do. You know, you know, St. John Bosco was big with this. This was his sort of road to, to sainthood. Perform your everyday works in an extraordinary way. Do the regular ordinary things in an extraordinary way and be joyful. Don Bosco is very big on that also. Be joyful. Some days are going to bring you lemons. Make lemonade. Okay. And be joyful about it. Some days maybe some days maybe we'll bring you filet mignon. All right. But enjoy it in gratitude. Okay. But understand that the next day, you know, you might be eating oatmeal. Okay. And give thanks for that too. And enjoy that too. Take what comes in life. Okay. Now, some people are going to argue, oh, Father, you're saying we shouldn't be ambitious and we shouldn't have dreams. No, no, I'm not saying that at all. But, you know, any of those people who did follow, quote-unquote, their dreams, who did follow their great purpose in life, or what they saw as their great purpose in life, often had to make many sacrifices on the road there, often had to go without and you know, maybe live hand to mouth for a while before things really began to work out and come together. And they only reach those dreams after great sacrifice. And so, you know, basically we're being called to the same thing. Listen to God's call. Dream a little bit. Nothing wrong with dreaming. Try to align those dreams with God's will. And then just do what you need to do every day. If you're a married person, be faithful in your marriage. If you're a priest or religious, be faithful in your religious commitment. If you punch in at 9 o'clock and you punch out at 5, well, put in the full day's work. Earn your money. Okay, don't, don't slack off. Okay, fulfill the responsibilities of your everyday life the way they're supposed to be fulfilled. All right. That's that's the best way of of repenting if you will. <laughs> Cuz you know to repent means to turn back to the Lord, which means that before we were moving off into other directions and maybe doing things we weren't supposed to be doing or maybe doing nothing at all. Maybe we're talking about sins of omission. Or maybe we're talking about sins of commission. We're being called to come back. Do the things you're supposed to do, 
do them with great joy and with great diligence. And, you know, things will work out. They may not work out in the Hollywood way, but they'll work out the way God wants them to work out, which really is the best way of all. Now, the reading ends with what what I think is a very, very, very important disclaimer, if you will. There's a lot of confusion out there about John's baptism and about what John's baptism is or isn't. So, you know, John is out there and he's preaching, and he's preaching very strongly, and people are beginning to wonder, is he the Messiah? And he is very clear about the fact that, no, I am not the Messiah. So that's one thing to get out of the way. John is the, pre- John is the prophet. John is not the Messiah. The other part of this that's very important to, to understand is that John's baptism is a symbolic washing. Okay, the comparison that I usually make is when we receive ashes at, at uh, Ash Wednesday. Those ashes are meant to be a symbol of our interior desire to repent. The uh, ashes themselves don't have any power to forgive sins. But they're meant to be a reminder to us that we need to be true to whatever Lenten practice we've adopted and to let that exterior sign be matched by an interior desire and an interior desire then that leads to action and to fulfillment. John's baptism is sort of like that. It does not have the power itself to forgive sins. Okay? We're going to get to the baptism of the Lord later on, okay, when we get to the beginning of January, and I'll talk more about that then. But it's, it's, it's just to say that it's a symbolic baptism. Jesus did not need to be baptized. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that much for right now. Jesus did not, mean, did not need to be baptized. It's something he voluntarily did with a purpose. Again, it was a sign. It was meant to be taken as a sign. And it had a purpose. Okay, and we'll get into that at the beginning of January, because I want you to come back. So I'm not going to give you the whole thing right now. Okay, okay. We're going to end this right here. Now, just a little housekeeping. Uh, you know, I've been pretty much dropping these on either the Saturday, you know, afternoon, Saturday morning, or early Sunday morning. Uh, I've had some midweek ones, but I'm going to try to get into a rhythm here of doing midweek episodes, dropping on Wednesday sometime on, usually probably Wednesday afternoon, and then another on Saturday. So the uh, midweek ones will have more to do, let's say, with culture, uh, with sort of social commentary, uh, you know, movie reviews, television reviews, uh, just, you know, comments on things happening in the world, but through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of Christian tradition, and you know, through the lens of how people of faith uh, can and should kind of look at these things. And then the weekend ones, the Saturday ones, will have more to do with the liturgy itself, 
with whatever liturgy we're celebrating that weekend, uh, be it during one of the major seasons or be it during ordinary time, uh, and also maybe any major feast days that are coming up, any saints days that are coming up that uh, uh, that we might you know want to take note of. So this week, I'm not, I, I don't know that I want to give you a preview quite yet because I'm not exactly sure which I'm going to do, <laughs> I, though I might do both. Uh, if if you know if I don't babble on too much about one topic or another, but I, I do want to finish up on uh, kind of my reflections on the Beatle documentary. But again, not so much about the Beatle documentary itself, but about this whole issue of uh, the the grand narrative and viewing reality through a narrative rather than viewing it through the facts that you see in front of you, whether they match up with the narrative or not. And then the other is to talk a little bit about the rise of the occult and how many, so many young people are now turning to things like witchcraft and uh, you know, different forms of occult practice. Uh, and then you know, talk a little bit too about you know, what should we do when a loved one passes away? And I mean in the practical sense. Should we bury the person? Should we cremate? And if we cremate, what do we do with the cremains? Because I think this is a very important thing that, you know, the, the church for a very long time did not allow cremation. And then more recently, is it allowed it again? But we tend to forget that there are still, there's still rules, people. <laughs> and not just rules for the sake of rules, but in my, again, in my experience in the ministry, uh, rules that make sense, <laughs> rules that make sense and that are good. And because uh, there's a lot of disrespect that ends up happening to those cremains uh, if they're not really put in a in a in their proper place of of rest. So those are three kind of things off the top of my head that I'm working on. We'll hit one or maybe all three of them on Wednesday. But until then, uh, know that you're in my prayers. Uh, know that uh, our Blessed Mother really loves you very much, and you know wants you to follow her son. Try to get the confession before uh, Christmas. And, uh, you know, just God bless all of you. And please pray for me. All righty. Bye-bye. God bless.